Are you ready? Welcome to Radio Grognard, King Size, the OSR podcast with more stuff, with your host, Glenn Hallstrom. Hi folks, Old Man Grognard here. Hope you're all doing well. It's a nice day. Hey, um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, science fantasy, and we'll talk about that right after this. All right, here's, here's the deal. I used to not want my science fiction mixed with my fantasy because I didn't think it belonged in a D&D. I'm going to talk mainly D&D, but any fantasy-type game. Um, barrier Peaks aside, because I know Mr. Arneson was trying to make it... Was it Dave? Or uh, I'm thinking of somebody else. Um, but basically, they were trying to make a case for uh, things like Metamorphosis Alpha and Gamma World. I think they were working towards that. But doing my research and dealing with other games like Hyperborea, I realized that science and fantasy do kind of work together. I mean, just watch an episode of Thunder of the Barbarian or something like that, or read a John Carter book. Uh, so, so it has a history in the pulps of using these kind of things because like for instance the John Carter stuff takes place on Mars which is not Earth which means that you can you can get away with it a little easier um you might even say Flash Gordon too but the point I'm trying to make is it'll work but you got to me you got to do it right to get that feel of the pulp fantasy type type thing uh and I come up with a few things to do that for your game. Number one, decide the percentage. And what I mean by that is what percentage fantasy, what percentage science. Here's an example. Here's a movie example. Treasure Planet, one of my favorite Disney movies. In fact, I've always said this is the only Spelljammer movie we're ever going to get, and I'll get to Spelljammer later. But they decided to to give it a steampunkish kind of kind of fantasy look, they decided to go 70% science, or I'm sorry, 70% Victorian and 30% science. Or is it 73? Yeah, I think that's it. And they kept that ratio and it really worked. And it just it just made it, you know, feel like a really good story in space. A really, and it just it it's beautiful to watch, and I I want to translate that to say my Hyperborea game or something like that. So uh, you got to decide, you know, how much is going to be fantasy, how much is going to be science, how much is going to be, or rather, how much magic, how much science, you know, and so you decide that from the get. Secondly, look at reference, like Treasure Planet or the Spelljammer game. Now, I'm not talking about the new one. I'm talking about the the old 2E Spelljammer. If you look at that, their spaceships, their Spelljammer ships and things like that are, are just fanciful. And that's what you're going for pretty much is fanciful. Okay? Because that's what you want to do with the game. Uh... And that goes for the theming of everything from the gadgets to the technology to the monsters. 
that that gives you license to do things that you really wouldn't normally ha- could do in a fantasy game. Uh, even look at something like Gamma World and see what they're doing with their monsters or Mutant Future or Mutant Crawl Classics or something, some post-apocalyptic game and see what they do with their bestiary and some of the equipment they have too. Okay, you've got number two. Now, number three, as far as the technology goes, make it alien. Do not put a lightsaber or a blaster in there. Put something that looks, you have no idea how it works, but it works. Say if you want to, how do they say, I think it was in Slipstream, they said, no laser guns, blaster pistols. And what they meant meant by that is make it look like nothing that anybody on earth has made. Or, I mean, say they got, say you got like a blaster gun or a a ray gun. Make it look, it kind of looks like a gun, but it's got all these filigrees and all this other stuff. And it may work in a totally different way. But the result is the same. It's a, it's a, a ray gun, you know, like that. So try and, try and get that aesthetic into it um, because in the pulps you know like in in the Carter stuff and even you know the, the the Fritz Lieber and the others you know the other authors like like them they they made their they made their tech so alien it's almost magic and I think that was the point of the whole thing as a matter of fact, that brings me to another subject part of it, which is magic and technology combined. It can be done, but once again, if you're going to do that, decide on your percentage. See if it follows. Say you want 50-50, you know, magic technology. You can have things like a blaster that works on magic stones or something like that, or a wand that's actually a it's almost a, like a, a sonic screwdriver type thing, but it's powered by elementals in, in tiny elementals inside the thing. Okay, that way you have it combined, and also as a GM, to me, that means you a a clever techno wizard or a wizard who knows kind of this kind of stuff can easily disable stuff. Oh, my blaster doesn't work. Why? Because he took the magical, he took the, the, the magic stone that's in it. It's dead. You know, and also, once again, these are things that get used up. You know, what's the power and how long does it last? Which is something that, you know, I've always heard that if you're going to give out magic items to like first to third, you know, new parties, new players, give them stuff they have to use up. Give them stuff with charges. Give them stuff with so many uses and then it's either dead or you got to get it recharged. And you're not the one who can do it, usually. So, that's another way of doing it. And they find this stuff. Um, In Hyperborea, the Atlantis, the the ancient Atlantis race, which is, is gone. I mean, they're still around, but I mean the society is gone. But they have, this is how you have the artifacts of technology. Once the land was, you know, really, you know, super, super advanced and everything like that. And something happened where, I don't know, a meteor or green death or 
something happened where they lost all that. It's still around, but you got to find it. It's basically an archaeological dig, and players will stumble across this stuff. Also, you have alien visitors who come down to this planet and do their nefarious things for whatever reason. I mean, you know, there is a Lovecraftian Cthulhu flavor through the pulps. It's just a, what, 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 get, what I get a kick out of. What I get a real kick out of is the fact that how, how other authors besides Lovecraft will treat eldritch horrors. Because Lovecraft was very, very, very nihilistic. Great stories, but, you know, this is a universe that doesn't care about you, and his stuff usually takes place in the 20s and 30s in, on Earth. So, the, you know, the, the common man cannot comprehend this. It could make you crazy. It could destroy you, bring back the elder gods. Oh, my gosh. You know, panic time, basically. In the pulps, say, Howard or some of his contemporaries, they will take it and to them, say, a Conan story that has an otherworldly, like, say, the Great Race or Mego or something like that in it. He just looks at it as another monster to kill. They do not have this whole psychological thing that goes on. It is pure pulp. It is pure, ah, ah, come back, you know, stop foul, foul creature. And, you know, he just, he throws himself in it. And other characters, you know, characters like that, like the Dying Earth series and things like that. So you have stuff like that. And you've got these heroes who, it's almost like they're conditioned to expect these alien visitors. They don't know what they are. But they're almost conditioned to expect it. And they go around and they find these, these, these abominations that are causing trouble and they have to stop it. There's not all just giant snakes and stuff like that. I mean, look at the end of Conan the Destroyer. He's, he's, he's killing some god-awful beast. And that's what, you're, that's what I'd be aiming for if I was going to do magic tech. Uh, and other reference things, like I said, Spelljammer, Treasure Planet, Thundar the Barbarian. It's post-apocalyptic, but it's the same kind of feel. He comes across some weird-ass monsters, and he just he, they have to defeat them. Uh, there is a real good supplement for Mutant Future that my friend Tim Snyder put out that uh, is a basically a Thunder, Thundar the Barbarian supplement. And you can get it on his website, The Savage Afterworld, I believe. Um, and I think it's also on drive-thru as a PDF. You can get a POD copy. I don't know where, maybe Lulu. But it is really a great source. He, he stats out stuff in Mutant Future Terms, which basically is BX, in, with BX stats, which makes it easy to convert to stuff. You know, he all the all the wizards, all the corrupt wizards that were in the show, all the monsters, and he just goes show, show, show. He even has an interesting article on what is magic in post-apocalyptic uh, in mutant future. Is there magic? Well, you can have magic in there, but it's like, what's the source? Is it actual magic, or is it just a mutant a mutant power? Does Princess Leela actually have magic? Does she actually do magical spells or is it her mutant power? You decide. 
You can make it either way. So that is a great, that book is a great, great reference. I, can, I can't recommend it highly enough. I've used it before. Uh, I've had Tim run a Thundar game at North Texas. That was a whole lot of fun. A whole lot of fun. And that's just something to look at. And, you know, and look at the post-apocalyptic stuff. Um, there's, one, there's one called Atomic Highway, which is more Mad Max, because you actually make a character and you make his vehicle, their vehicle. And their supplement, it's got a supplement called Irradiated Freaks, which is, adds the Gamma World type mutant part of it, which is also a great read, a great thing to, to look at for ideas for things like that and how you want to blend magic and technology. And also in the Mutant Future game itself and the AD&D First Edition. But AD&D shows you how to blend. The, in the back, they have an appendix shows you how to either use it with Boot Hill, Fantasy with Boot Hill, or Gamma World. And in, in Mutant Future, it shows you how to blend it in with fantasy, uh, Labyrinth Lord. Labyrinth Lord, and how to blend that in. That's a great read, too, if you ever get a, a copy of Mutant Future, which I highly recommend. I love that game. It's BX Game World. Just absolutely fun. And, his, and of course, the book, the, A Year in the Savage Afterworld, my friend Tim put out. A lot of scenarios in there. Anyway, I think you guys get the idea. Blending fantasy and sci-fi can be done, but it's just got to take a little finesse, if you know what I mean. Anyway, I got to go start my day. So if you guys want to talk to me about this or anything else, oldmangrognard at gmail.com or drop a voicemail on Anchor. We are monetized. So as little as 99 cents a month, you too can help support this program. And I would thank you for single donations, my Kofi page, ko-fi.com slash oldmangrognard or my PayPal tip jar, paypal.me slash oldmangrognard. Let me thank these people who do give to me monthly. Gilbert Sars, Juan Carlos Llewellyn, Benjamin Brodell, John Allen Large, and Aaron. Thank you very much. For other good podcasts, there is Dan Gregg's The Young Y-U-N-G Young Grognar Podcast, Kevin at the Red Caps Podcast, Daniel Norton's Bandit's Geek Podcast, Randy and Joe's Biggest Geek is Podcast, and John Allen, Big John Allen Large's The Red Dice Diaries, and my friend Eric Tenkar's Tavern Chat. So, until I see you folks next time, keep the dice warm, and I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. You got questions? You got comments? Send them to oldmangrognard at gmail.com. Tune in next time when Radio Grognard King Size is on the air. <laughs>